So obviously, uh, you are not used to seeing me in this place. The bad news, I have not been trained as a preacher. The good news, that because I'm not trained as a preacher, this will be short. <laughs> Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. That's from the Gospel reading this morning. And when I saw this in the Gospel reading, I knew that God was up to something. I was a little nervous about getting up here today to talk about persecution against Christians. Father Sean and I have talked over the last few months about when might be a good time for me to share about that topic. But I wondered, there didn't seem to be any particular meaning to February 13th, unless of course you're a Bengals or a Rams fan. I wondered what I would say and why today. What about the sixth Sunday of Epiphany made it important to hear about Christian persecution? And then the Beatitudes. It was like God was waving to me, throwing me a bone. And I'm grateful. I don't know about you, but the Beatitudes have always been some of my favorite verses that also greatly confuse me. I suspect some of you are similar. We memorize and we recite these passages that are wildly counterintuitive. We combine blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. We say blessed are the hungry and woe to those who have lots of food. And then we say, blessed are you when people hate you. Whenever we recite these passages over and over again, they become so familiar that they can lose their sting. But we ought not let that happen. When Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you, this should prick our ears, and, if we admit it, maybe make us think, are you crazy? No place in Scripture reflects the upside-down nature of God's kingdom than the Beatitudes. These verses have challenges for every culture and for every time if we listen to them. Sometimes it's tempting to think about some of these verses as, well, that's a nice thought for when I die or when Christ returns. These make the verses something easy to break down, not something we need to grapple with or look for in the here and now. But I, what I want to tell you today is when you hear the stories of persecuted Christians around the world, the Beatitudes come to life in the here and now. The kingdom of God is here, not yet in its fullness, but breaking through our brokenness constantly. And make no mistake, there is brokenness everywhere for the people of God. There are currently 360 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That's one in seven Christians worldwide. On average, 16 Christians are killed every day just because they follow Jesus. In Nigeria, where Father Joshua is from, more than 4,600 Christians were killed for their faith just in the last year. Christians are attacked, pressured, killed, sexually assaulted, kidnapped all over the world. Christians in the Maldives don't have a Bible in their own language. Christians in Somalia can't legally celebrate Christmas. Every time Christians in Iran go to church, they know the secret police can burst in at any moment. And most of us in this room watched in horror as the Taliban took over Afghanistan in late August last year knowing that Christians there had suddenly lost any slight freedom they might have had. 
These numbers and these realities are huge. They are discouraging. And without Jesus, they are hopeless. But what I want to tell you today is that the upside kingdom of God is alive and moving in the midst of reality. I work for Open Doors, an international organization that specifically works with persecuted Christians. That's given me the opportunity to hear and tell a lot of their stories. And it's allowed me to meet persecuted believers. Every time I've had the pleasure of talking to a persecuted Christian, God has challenged me to take Jesus' words and the Beatitudes seriously. When you get to know persecuted Christians, your brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters, according to the Bible, you can see God at work and the Beatitudes come to life. This past December, I went to Turkey and met with some Iranian refugees who had fled after they were imprisoned. Their story was remarkable. Ali, the husband, was addicted to drugs and was healed after he had a vision of Jesus touching him. He and his wife, Zahra, found a savior. And then because of that faith, they lost everything. Their families and friends rejected them because they followed Jesus and left Islam. They were arrested for leading a house church. Ali lost his job. Their kids were expelled from school. Eventually, because they knew indefinite imprisonment was a constant possibility, they fled to Turkey. It's important to understand, too, that when Christians flee because of their faith, it's not like their lives get easier overnight. Many of us know what our brother Sonny went through after leaving Pakistan, living illegally as a refugee in Thailand before finally coming to America and struggling for years until his family was able to rejoin him. And when Ali and Zahra got to Turkey, they had no rights, no ability to work or go to school. They weren't in prison, but they also don't have much in the way of comfort. But these are the people that Jesus in today's gospel reading says are blessed. And in these situations, I find myself wondering, why? Well, God has been gracious enough to provide answers to that question. When my team and I met with, this, met with them in December, Ali told us, quote, When Jesus told Lazarus, raise from the dead, Lazarus didn't say, no, I don't want to. Jesus did the same for me and raised me from the dead. I cannot live without him, and there is no other way around it, unquote. And Zachra said, the person who was interrogating me said, imagine I am not your interrogator and you are not a convict. If you could go back knowing all this that would happen, would you pick Jesus again? And I said, yes. This happens over and over again. I met a woman in Vietnam who lost her kids because she chose Jesus. She doesn't know how to read. She can't read the Bible. And yet she continues to follow Jesus. This story is echoed around the world. Christians who lack many of the educational tools and books or training we take for granted, and yet whose faith often puts mine to shame. Persecuted Christians show us that choosing Jesus is not some intellectual exercise. Maybe Jesus said that these brothers and sisters are blessed because of this. His power and his love are not nice ideas to persecuted Christians. Talking to them is a reflection of John 6 when Jesus asks his disciples if they want to reject him, and Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What a blessing it is to have that assurance, even among the brokenness. Persecuted Christians are not superheroes. I don't want to make it sound like that. 
But I think one of the power of having a global body of Christ, these brothers and sisters living in other places, having these experiences that, is that we can learn and grow in our own faith and grow their faith as well. And this is what I want to leave you with today. When you take the time to learn the stories of your persecuted family, you have the opportunity to see God at work in ways that will challenge you and probably blow your mind. Jesus is at work, reaching people in visions, through healing, radio broadcasts, chance encounters, brave pastors, ancient churches, through Anglicans, Roman Catholics, Pentecostals, Antiochian, Orthodox, Baptists, Coptic Christians, and everything in between. There is no border he is stopped by, and no persecution he cannot overcome and redeem. We can join our brothers and sisters in God's kingdom when we support them through prayer. In his book, Compassion, Catholic writer Henry Nouwen writes about how prayer is direct action. He says, quote, To pray for others means to make them part of ourselves. To pray for others means to allow their pains and sufferings, their anxieties and loneliness, their confusion and fears to resound in our innermost selves. To pray, therefore, is to become those for whom we pray. We bring before God those who suffer not merely over there, not simply long ago, but here and now in our innermost selves. And if I may be bold enough to add to Nouwen's words, through the Holy Spirit, when we pray, we also rejoice with our persecuted brothers and sisters when they rejoice. Frankly, I do not always understand why persecuted Christians continue to follow Jesus. It doesn't make any sense to me in a Western context sometimes. All I know is, is that they do. And I know that the same counterintuitive message of Jesus is the one I hear from persecuted Christians around the world. As you leave today, I'd encourage you to start to listen to their voices and join in solidarity with them in prayer. You'll have your first chance in just a few minutes when we do the prayers of the people. Father Joshua will pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are persecuted for their faith. That's a great place to start. It's vague. You might not have anyone in mind, but it's a good place to start. The organization I work for has produced a year-long prayer guide also that can help you pray with persecuted Christians. I've got a bunch out in the coffee room, and I'd love to give you one. I'd also love to tell you other ways you can get involved. But again, the best way to start is to pray. After the service, I'm sure Father Joshua wouldn't mind how, if you ask him how you can pray with Christians in Nigeria. The next time you see Sonny, you can ask for Christians how you can pray for Christians in Pakistan. You can get to know our refugee neighbors across the Cleveland area and find out how is God at work among his people there, and how can we be a part of it? The kingdom of God is not fully here, not until Jesus comes back and brings heaven to earth, perfectly restoring God's creation with him. This is why we talk about Jesus' kingdom as the already and not yet. But persecuted Christians remind us that the upside-down kingdom of heaven is also already here. In this reality, they are blessed, and we have much to learn. I hope we all have the courage to do so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.